My name is Garrett Postuma. I'm one of uh, the elders here. Honestly, it's fantastic to be here with you guys and uh, worshiping in person. It's been uh, a long time. Um, I've got the privilege of reading God's word to you guys this morning. So if you'd open your Bibles, turn to Psalm 78, uh, verses 1 through 8, or uh, your electronic device. A Mescal of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from the children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful, to God. This is the word of the Lord. Join with me now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful for the wonders which you have performed in Mercy House over the past year, for the many people who have been baptized in your name, for our new members, for the ways in which people have been discipled and continue to grow in disciple-making. God, you have sustained your church throughout history, and you are continuing to wondrously sustain our local body at Mercy House, and we thank you for that. God, we confess that our flesh is weak, and there are times where our hearts are not steadfast, or we rebel against you. We would ask for your forgiveness, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, our hearts would be made steadfast, that we as individuals and a corporate body would grow in faithfulness to you. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you are steadfast even when we are not, that you are faithful when we are faithless. Help us to pass on your word to the next generation, be that our actual children for those of us who are parents or to unbelievers and new Christians. I would ask that you would help us to be good, faithful, Christ-modeling earthly fathers and mothers for those of us with children. And I would ask for all of us who are Christians that you would help us to model Christ in our lives, to pass on your word to new believers through discipleship. We lift up Robert before you this morning. We would pray that he would worship you through the preaching of the word and that we would respond to the teaching of your word in obedience. We would ask that the Holy Spirit would be at work in Robert this morning and in each of our hearts. We would lift the preaching of your word and this time together before you now, God, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, Garrett. Garrett and the other elders, they've been burning the midnight oil, getting uh, budgets ready. If you're a member, you received a proposed budget uh, last night. It's going to be talked about this evening in a town hall at 7 p.m., and the link for the Zoom is in that email. And uh, so I really appreciate these guys and all the work that they've been 
doing to put this together. So we're starting a new series, uh, Generation Next, and it's a topical series. We don't usually do topical series. Usually we preach through books of the Bible or portions of books in the Bible. Uh, we do that on purpose. Uh, we, we feel like that is a better way to equip people to read their Bible when they get home, uh, to, to work, work through a text of Scripture uh, in a full book. Um, but sometimes it's appropriate to, to take a topic and to kind of drill down into a topic, uh, which is what we're going to do this summer. And I'm hoping this will be a, a timely word for our congregation. Uh, we've been speaking a lot about vision in our monthly church summits. We've been talking about how we want to be gospel-centered, how we want to be a family, how we want to be on mission uh, to make disciples uh, who make disciples. And really, that should be every church's vision. I mean, they might say it differently um, and, and use different verbiage, but, but it, this, this should be every church's vision, to be centered on the gospel, to be a family together, to be on mission, uh, to make disciples. The part that's different for each church is their context. Uh, every church has a, has a different context that they have to figure out, how do we do this gospel-centered family on mission? Um, and our context is especially uh, full of what I might call emerging generations, right? younger people. Uh, part of that is that we have five colleges within about an eight-mile radius uh, of our church, three of them in the same uh, pop population as our, as our town. Um, our, our town, at least Amherst, is so full of college students that almost 60% of the population are between the ages of 18 and 24. That has not changed in the 22 years that I've been here. <laughs> it's always been right at 60% of the people that are inside the uh, population of, of Amherst. And, and even that is true outside of Amherst because you have colleges outside of Amherst uh, as well. This is, again, not typical. Uh, in the U.S., about 24% of the population in the U.S. is 18 to 24. And we have 60% 18 to 24. Also, that group uh, in the nation is less likely than any other generation uh, to be a Christian. And in that group that would be professing as Christians, it's very unlikely that they would be involved in a church. And so in this context, uh, especially for folks 18 to 24 to be engaged in church is, is mind-blowing. Right, because not only we're not just in the U.S. here; we're in the New England area of the U.S. And there's very few 18 to 24 year olds that have any interest in Christ or His church. Yet, over the last 22 years, we have had hundreds of 18 to 24 year olds walk through those doors. September after September, waves of folks that have come in through these doors in that age group. They come from different places. They come from different spiritual backgrounds. Um, as far as spiritual backgrounds, some are Christians. They're converted Christians. Um, I remember getting a call from uh, a, a, a person that had been an, a part of our church back in like 99, 2000. And uh, he said, hey, my nephew's coming to UMass. He's a, he's a six-month-old Christian. Would you follow up with him? His name is Mike Daling. Some of you know Mike Daling. Um, and so he, he came as a Christian right, a baby Christian, and, and just plugged in immediately and started 
being a part of discipleship ministry and quickly was then making disciples of other students and then has been sent out and now serving along with his wife uh, in a church in Massachusetts. Some are churched but not converted. They've grown up with a mom and dad that, that were, were Christ followers, but they just hadn't owned that faith yet. Uh, that was Megan Barry. When Megan Barry got here, she was churched, but she did not know, yet know Christ. And so it was here that she heard the word preached. She did some of her own reading and ex- exploration, uh, came to faith, and Jesus was baptized, uh, and now is on our staff. Most of you know Megan Barry. Some come with very little or no church background. Uh, Raina, who grew up in Vermont, um, was homeschooled by a family that homeschooled her for the purpose of keeping her away from Christians. There's not a lot of Christians in Vermont, so I don't know what they were so worried about. But, but <laughs> they, they intentionally were trying to keep her away from, from Christians. And she was watching YouTube videos on makeup tips and one of these videos was done by some Christian girls, and the Christian girls would share their testimony or share the gospel at the end of the YouTube makeup tips. And she started getting interested in the gospel. And she visited a, a church up in Greenfield, uh, and it was all gray hairs. And I can say that with you know, respect, because I got some gray hairs. Um, and she was like, I don't think this is exactly the place for me. Got online, Googled, found Mercy House, came here. And uh, started attending Mercy House, getting involved in small groups, became a Christian, was baptized, was discipled here, was sent out. She's now married to a youth pastor, and they're working, uh, serving in a church in Pennsylvania. Those are all New England kids. All three of those stories, those are New England kids. Again, that is very special. It's very unique for New England kids to be coming to faith, growing as disciples, being sent out as fruitful, devoted followers of Jesus. We also see people come from different places around the nation and around the world. Some of you remember Fatima uh, from Iran, and uh, she came here with a friend. Uh, she started coming after, after that first visit, coming every week, asking many, many questions, getting involved in discipleship, eventually professing her faith in Christ, being baptized, uh, and then she went off to do a postdoc in Montana, and we kind of lost track of her. And the other day, Melanie and I were walking up uh, Amity Street, and a car pulled in, it honked at us, and I was like, oh my gosh, we're in trouble, you know, something's wrong, and out jumped Fatima and her new fiancé that she had met at church in Montana, the two of them getting married, planning to relocate somewhere, uh, and love Jesus and raise a, a family, right? That's the kind of stuff that's occurred here over and over and over and over for the last 22 years. In fact, over the time of COVID, we saw 14 college students baptized. I don't think you can find a church in New England that baptized 14 college students over COVID. It's miraculous what God has done in this place and continues to do in spite of some of the challenges that we faced over the last 14 months. Uh, this is obviously something that is unique to this church, but it's unique to me. I, I have a unique calling to emerging generations. That's always been a part of the last 29, about to finish up my 30th year in ministry. I've always been working with emerging generations and seeing those generations reach for the gospel and sent out as mature, maturing disciples. 
But also in our context is another group of emerging generations, young children. Maybe you notice some of them here in the congregation this morning. We're really glad that they're here, and it's okay if they scream. It's okay. It really is. We're really glad to see the 70-plus kids that are a part of our church. And that 70-plus kids has come from uh, some who have graduated from these colleges, stayed around, got jobs, got married, starting having kids. I mean, they read in the Bible, said, be fruitful, multiply. Man, they obeyed, right? <laughs> but not only that, other, other families have joined this church over the last couple of years uh, because they saw other families that were like them. And they're like, okay, this is a place for me. There's something going on downstairs with the kids' ministry. And so over the, over the last, especially four to five years, we've just seen a number of families with young kids uh, coming to join the church, and they keep having babies, and we're, we're excited about that. So our kids' ministry has grown, and you can kind of track it with the different people that have uh, led that ministry. And so, you, you know, it kind of started off with uh, the Moylans being volunteers and doing excellent work with the kids, and, and then that being handed off uh, to, to Ashley Murphy and, and Sarah Showalter, who were given a little stipend, but really were volunteers uh, and, and, and giving a ton of work to, to expand that ministry, and, and we saw it grow and, and deepen. Uh, and, and now in this budget season, we're having some conversations, some, some uh, voting on some things in the budget that will hopefully expand that even more uh, with more staff attention to uh, the kids' ministry. Um, this, this emerging generation thing, again, of college students and young children, um, it's unique. It really is, if you look at the landscape of American churches. So, 83% of the people in evangelical churches in America are older than 29. 83%. And so, we, we don't have a lot of people <laughs> that, that are over 40 you know, in our church. And so, it's, it's, it's really a unique thing that's occurring. Um, and it brings challenges with it, no doubt, because oftentimes in a church, the pillars are kind of these 50-plus folks. They, they've, they've graduated their kids out of the house, and they've got more money than they've ever had. They've, they've got more time than they ever have. They've got all this wisdom, and they kind of create this, these pillars that help the church, and we don't have a lot of those, hardly any. And so there's a, that gives us some challenges. But at the same time, if you had to choose between an aging population in a church and a church full of emerging generations, which would you choose? Right? I think you would choose the emerging generations. Emerging generations. The future for mercy house looks really bright because we have this kind of, of age demographic is, is one of the reasons. We, we, can, we can look at our future and say, man, this looks good going forward. And so this is why we, we're going to spend some time this summer speaking about the next generation. What does that look like to be a church that is investing in the next generation? And partly what gave me an idea for this sermon series was reading in my own devotional time, going through the Psalms over the past months, and, and when I got to Psalm 78, I was like, wow, this, this really has a lot to say to our, our church. And, and out of that grew a sermon series. And so what's interesting about this passage, and it's a long psalm, and so we won't go through all of it, but just these first eight verses. But it gives some instruction to the, I'll call it the mature and the immature. 
I got to be careful to say the old people and the young people because everybody's going to be like, well, I'm not old, right? So let's say mature and the immature. And then everybody's like, I want to be mature. Okay, good. And so that's, that's good. That's where I want you. I want you to go over there to the mature uh, side. So the first instruction to the mature is this first verse. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Now, it's interesting, you know, he, he's talking to my people, and obviously, you know, immature folks are in the my people, but the folks that can really receive this and listen to it are the folks that are mature. And usually in wisdom literature, you have old people telling young people what they need to do, because old people know stuff. Old people know stuff. I've got some young guys that live in my house, and we've had lots of conversations about stuff that old people know, and evidently young people don't know. Like, you don't cram three loads of laundry into the washer. Don't, don't do that, okay? Uh, but they didn't know that. But I did know that. So I was able, you know, to help them out with that. You don't eat three-week-old chili that's been in the fridge, right? Evidently, they, they didn't know that. So th- they needed someone older to tell them. Uh, and when your car is rattling so loudly that you can't hear the radio, you go to the mechanic, Evidently, they didn't know that. So I was able to help them understand that. But this psalm tells the old people to listen. This psalm tells the old people, tells the mature people to listen because sometimes mature adults don't listen. I know you find that hard to believe, but it's true. It can happen that they don't listen. we got a whole country of adults that won't listen. There are many in the U.S. that have heard the gospel preached. They know the central tenets of the gospel message, and they said, no, thank you. They've been unwilling to listen. But even many in the church, like regular attenders, are maybe hearing sermons, singing songs, but then they walk out the door, and they've made, it's made no difference in their lives. Now, in the Bible, hearing God is heeding God. It's, it's not just taking an information, but it is acting on that information with repentance and faith. Hearing is always heeding. And so when we say, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, but we don't pray, we don't read our Bibles, we don't give generously to the gospel mission, we don't tell our neighbor about Jesus. We, we're not heeding. We may be hearing some sermons. We may be singing some songs. But if we're not heeding, we're not truly listening in a biblical sense. And why this is so important in this context of, of Psalm 78 is that if I'm not listening, then I don't have a platform to speak. Right? I and mean, parents, you know this. If, if, if you're like saying to your child, no, you shouldn't eat sweets, and they go, but you eat sweets. Your platform's gone, right? Well, you got to eat sweets at night after they go to bed. I mean, we all know that. I mean, come on, that's, that's like parenting one-on-one right there. Um, you can find out more in Tommy's group and, and Caitlin's group, family discipleship. But you need this platform of listening, as in hearing, heeding, in order to speak. So here's the speaking part. Verse 2 I will open my mouth. 
in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we've heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. So the writer is saying, we're going to open our mouths. We're going to speak what we've listened to. And he describes the way in which they're, they're, they're speaking in, in two ways. One is we're going to use parables. We're going to use parables. What is, why does he say that? We're going to use creative teaching techniques in order to transfer that information to the next generation. Right? I mean, we work really hard as, as teachers and preachers at Mercy House, even with uh, teaching to adults, to try to, try to use creative ways of teaching to engage you in gospel truth. We also seek to uh, find gospel-centered, creative curriculum that we'll use with kids in order for that to be transferred in a way that's age-appropriate, right? And so this idea that we'll open our mouths with, with parables, we'll use creativity to engage people uh, in gospel truth, old and young. But then he also says we're going to pass on the dark sayings from of old, that is a weird, that's just weird, right? Um, but the, the, the Hebrew there that's translated dark uh, sayings, uh, chidah, actually everywhere else pretty much in the Old Testament, it's translated riddle. And so what that word communicates is we're going to communicate things that are complex, things that are a bit mysterious. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's things about the Christian life that you have to communicate. They're, they're difficult to understand either because they're complexity or, or because they're just, there's, there's a lot of mystery to those things. And he's saying when we're speaking to the next generation, we're not going to dumb it down. Yes, we're going to be absolutely creative. We're going to do everything we can to engage them at their level, but we're also not going to shy away from the deeper truths of the gospel. I mean, it's partly why as we, as we move forward into this next phase of, of, of kids' ministry, opening up opportunities for at least older kids to be in the service with their parents. Because we, we, we've come to believe, and part of this is over COVID, is, is that kids in the service is a real plus. And so, and so this is an opportunity that we want to provide for parents to be in the service with children listening to the sermon. Uh, we've seen kids grow during COVID that have been coming to in-person service. And it's, been re- it's really a powerful powerful testimony to that. And there'll be more details, and we'll talk more about specifics in in the future, certainly. But what is it about the content that that is most important to pass on, right? I mean, in verse 4, he says it. He says, the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. This is the teaching content that needs to be passed. And the glorious deeds of the Lord in the Old Testament is both judgment and salvation. So judgment against Israel's enemies, judgment against those in Israel who rebelled against God, but also salvation for God's people. These are the glorious deeds of God. And this phrase, glorious deeds, it's a powerful phrase because it's like the deeds are like a ray of glory that's emanating from God, and we can track the glory back to God and understand who God is from His deeds. And so it is, the teaching content is who God is and what God has done. 
This is what we're listening uh, to. This is what we're speaking to the next generation. This uh, psalmist, Asaph, he is most likely drawing from Deuteronomy uh, 6, verses 4 through 7. This is a very important passage to the Jewish people. Uh, verse 4, hear, O Israel. Okay, so there's the listen part. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So you can see the hear and the speak, right? And it's most likely he's drawing from this very important passage uh, for Israel. And, and so this is something that uh, God's people have understood to be a, a ministry priority, is taking these truths about God and what He's done and faithfully entrusting them to the next generation. He sums that up in verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children. And so He, he, he just summarizes it right there. Okay, take this that's been entrusted to you and pass it on to the next generation. This is to always be a priority for God's people, Old Testament and New. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that you could do to build up adults, and it is important uh, to do that. Uh, but if, if a church loses sight of passing this on to the next generation, that church will die. And this is why 17% of the population that's taken up evangelical churches right now is under 29, and the rest are older. It's because they've lost that zeal to pass on to the next generation. Because what a church wants is we want to have a legacy of listening and speaking. Listening and speaking. This is what he describes in verse 6, that the next generation might know them the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. That's a legacy being described there. Uh, telling this, this generation that's being exhorted in, in Psalm 78 that you're, you're going to pass on these truths such that they will know the testimonies and laws and commands. They will hear, they will heed the word of God, so much so that they'll pass it on to people who have not yet been born. It's like a hundred year vision that this psalmist is laying out for them. They're thinking about the, the, the children of the children of the children who are going to listen and speak, listen and speak, and be a part of this legacy. So, what is your vision for your family legacy? Even if you're single and you're thinking, you know what, I want to I be married someday, you need to be thinking about this too. The vision for your family legacy. I can tell you this, as, when you're, especially with younger children, it is so easy to become very short-sighted. Your goal is like, get them fed, bathed, and in bed. That is my goal, <laughs> right? Pretty short-sighted, okay? I, I get it. Oh, I, I, I know what that feels like. Then as they get a little older, you're like, oh, okay, I got to get them educated, employed, and out of my house, right? I mean, that's valid, okay? Don't get me wrong. Like, that's valid. 
But, but this is pointing to a different vision. Certainly includes those things, but, but there's something ultimate here that the psalmist is painting for the people of God. That the vision is that they will listen and they will speak and they will take up their place in the legacy of the family, the spiritual legacy. That's what your vision ought to ultimately be. You see this kind of vision in Timothy's life. Uh, Timothy, who worked with the Apostle Paul, there's two letters written to him in the New Testament. And this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. It's a beautiful passage, right? Timothy's a church kid. He's a church kid. His grandmother uh, heard the gospel, responded in faith, passed it on to her, her daughter Eunice. She listened, and she heard that gospel, and she received it in faith, and she spoke it to her little boy Timothy. And Timothy grew up in the gospel. And then when Apostle Paul comes you know, riding through town, and people are like, hey, Paul, you really should meet this guy Timothy. He's pretty special. He's pretty unique. I, I think he may be a teammate for you. And Paul meets him, and he's like, you're on the team. And he then becomes one of the key leaders of the New Testament movement of church planting and evangelism that takes over the known world. Right? That came out of a family legacy. That, that's, that's the kind of vision that we want to have as families, as a church who has these little ones that we're given the responsibility to entrust the gospel to so they can take it to the nations. It's, you know, it's my greatest joy to see my own children uh, I have three, Corey, Cooper, and Kayla. They're all in their 20s. Uh, they've all professed faith in Jesus by God's grace. And they're not only professing faith, they're on the mission. They're passing on gospel truth to other people. I, I, I got a text last week uh, from Cooper, and he said, Hey, pray, pray for me. I'm about to go meet up with Henry for our, our first discipleship meeting. And Henry came to faith a couple of years ago in prison. And he got out, got a job, moved into uh, Cooper's apartment complex. Cooper's a part of an apartment ministry that goes out on Saturday and just knocks on doors and just says, hey, how can we pray for you? And if opportunities present themselves to preach the gospel, they share the gospel. And so they knocked on Henry's door, and Henry opened the door, and they start talking. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I've never really had that much discipleship. And Coop said, let's meet next week. And so he's meeting with Henry, seeking to share the gospel with him and to disciple him. That's legacy. That's legacy. That's what you want, right? I know, again, it's so easy to get off the track, right? You're just like, get them bathed, get them fed, get them, get them to bed, get them educated, get all that stuff that's important. But don't lose sight of the legacy. And church, don't lose sight of the legacy of passing this on to the next generation. Now, this legacy is not just our biological kids, this legacy is also our spiritual kids. You see this in the second chapter of 2 Timothy, that Paul is writing to Timothy. So interesting, he points to the family legacy, the spiritual legacy. And then in 2 Timothy 2, 2, he says, And what you've heard me from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's another kind of legacy. Not with your biological 
family, right? He's saying, I want you to entrust to the hungry, to the reliable men and women in your church that are also going to be faithful to then pass it on to others who are going to pass it on to others. It's four generations in that little verse. Paul, Timothy, faithful people, and others who are being affected by the gospel. It's a listen-speak legacy. Listen-speak legacy. Listen-speak legacy. And this kind of legacy is not just for apostles and their protégés. This is for every Christian. Every Christian. And yes, it's going to look different in different people's lives. People have different giftings, different availability, all that. Yeah, I know. But, but to some degree, this is for everyone. This Listen Speak legacy is for every Christ follower on the planet. And this is how the, the gospel moves forward. This is how the kingdom is expanded. There's no other way. The reason we're here is because the guys that stood on that hill with Jesus in Matthew 28, where he's saying, go, make disciples, teach them, baptize them. And they said, okay, we'll do it. And they did it. And they baptized and taught the next generation. Who baptized and taught the next generation. Who ba- and and it, it has moved into this room. Think about that. That Matthew 28 moment of a great commission has brought us here in this church as Christ followers who now have been given the baton to make Christ followers of the emerging generations. Thank you for that shout out. I appreciate that. So, so perfect time. Now, I know when you hear this, you, you, you go, okay, okay, we got it. We got it. I mean, how hard could this be? <laughs> and listen to the, the verse 7 here. Uh, he gives you how you pull this off, the, 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 the essence of it. And he says, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Young and old are, are, are told all this listening and speaking. It, it's not just some kind of strategy or some kind of a marketing plan like, 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 this is for the purpose of drawing people to faith in God. And that this Hebrew word that is being translated set is this little, short little word, sum, and it means fixed. It's used in verse 5, and, and it's translated uh, appointed, and it's God appointing something, right? Pointing, appointing the law. That's how fixed this setting of our hope is in, in this verse. And so this is, the, this is the purpose of all this listening and, and speaking is that generation after generation after generation are setting their hope, their trust, their faith in God and what He has done for them in the gospel. And it's, it's not a given that everyone who hears this will do it. Because this final verse would indicate that some have said, no, I won't do this. Uh, verse 8 says, and they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. And most of the rest of the psalm, which is really long, is like a cautionary tale, and he just goes through a bunch of Israel's history to say, don't be stubborn, don't be, uh, don't, don't be rebellious, and don't lose heart. The three things that he mentions there in verse 8, stubborn, actively digging your heels in and just saying no, uh, or rebellious, actively opposing 
right? The work of God or losing heart, just getting weary, getting tired. And all of us know that. I, like, I, I know that, that, that tendency to move into those places of being stubborn or rebellious or just tired. And so I, I, I know that that's true of you as well. And so this is a cautionary tale to say, don't, don't go there. Don't go there. Set your hope, set your heart on God and what He has done for you in the gospel. And then keep persevering in the listening and the speaking legacy that you're part of. And so this, this psalmist is, is really inviting the people into a reformation. Like he's trying to reform the nation of Israel and saying, look back, don't be that. Look forward, let's be something different. And it's a good reminder for us that there's, there's many that have gone before us that have not been willing to listen, as in they've, they've compromised on the gospel, they've compromised on what is true about God and what He has done, and they've compromised with the culture and, and have not continued to preach the gospel. That's a, that's a real temptation. And they weren't willing to listen. Or they weren't willing to speak. That they become this kind of religious enclave that, that's just them against the world, and they just become so weird and not able to contextualize the message with parables so that the rest of the world can understand their message. That's not okay either. You could get the gospel right, but get the communication of the gospel wrong. We don't want to do that either. We want to be listening, we want to be speaking, and we want to be a part of a hundred-year or more legacy. That's the way we want to be thinking about this church. But what we need to hear the most is the glorious deeds of the Lord. This is, this is what we keep setting our hope in, the glorious deeds of the Lord. Again and again and again. For some of you, you may have never trusted in the glorious deeds of the Lord. And the ultimate glorious deed is what Christ has done on the cross. His death for sinners so that we can be forgiven and we can be transformed. In order to become a Christian, you have to listen to that. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is how you become a Christian. You have that moment of listening, of hearing. And so if you're hearing this this morning and you're thinking, I think I'm ready. I think I understand at least the basics of what it means to be a Christian, to believe in what Christ has done for me on the cross. Receive that today and get on this, in this legacy of listening and speaking. It may be that you're hearing this and you're like, I'm interested, I'm not ready, then reach out to someone. I mean, if you're in this room, there's so many people in this room that could have a really wonderful conversation with you about how Christ has changed their lives and what the gospel is. But certainly also reach out to me, reach out to the staff. Like we would love to continue that conversation after this service. But we, Christians, we need to keep listening to that gospel. We don't outgrow our need to keep listening and listening and listening and listening and listening. This is why you are singing the gospel. You're hearing the gospel in this sermon. You're going to see the gospel in a minute in the breaking of the bread and the taking of the cup. Gospel, gospel, gospel. You're like, don't we have another topic? Not really. We just talk about the gospel and then we apply it to many, many, many topics. But we set our hope in God and what God has done in the gospel. We keep listening 
the gospel. But not only do we listen, we speak. We speak. We speak the gospel. We speak the gospel to our kids. We speak the gospel to our neighbors. We speak the gospel to those college students, which hundreds of them will be walking through those doors in September. There are going to be two waves of students. I think there's going to be the, the freshman class, which is this you know, typical wave, but the sophomore class didn't really get a freshman experience. And so they're going to be coming out of the woodwork, looking for clubs and RSOs, and, all kinds, and they're going to be looking for church. And we're going to have the opportunity to, 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 to take what we've heard and speak it to an emerging generation. And so I want to encourage you to offer yourself in that mission of, of, of ministering to the emerging generations. Do that organically, informally, in, in, in your day-to-day life, but also participate in the formal ministries of this church. And so I would encourage you, re- reach out to, to Tommy on email and, and say, hey, I'm ready to help lead discipleship groups in September when all those students come in. And others, right? And also shoot via an email and say, I'm ready to be in the rotation of volunteers to take care and teach kids. We, it, it's time to begin to kind of rev back up the ministries that we've kind of been keeping on the uh, kind of simmering over the last 14 months. You may be saying, but I don't really know how to do it. I, I, I'm not equipped to speak. And that's what these you know, disciple maker tracks are about that Tommy just talked about, right? And so if you've not done discipleship groups, I want to encourage you to do discipleship groups. It gives you the basics of both doctrine but also spiritual disciplines and how to practice the things that you believe. But if you've done those, uh, again, encouraging you to then lead those DG groups with a few other people, but also to be equipped in these other uh, disciple-maker tracks. And notice that these disciple-maker tracks are geared toward emerging generations. How can families listen and speak to their, for their kids to know the gospel? How can we listen, speak uh, to college students as we have this opportunity to, to make disciples and send them uh, to the nations? Uh, mine is a, just gospel-centered teaching. It, it should inform in, any kind of age group, right? Just learning how, how do I understand the gospel? How do I uh, communicate it uh, when I'm looking at a particular text? That's what we're going to be working on. So these, these things are designed to be able to listen, speak, listen, speak, and be a part of a legacy of listening and speaking. But not only listening and speaking, again, we also want to set. We want to set. We want to set and reset our hope in God. And you know what this is like during the week. It's just so easy to set your hope in something else. You set your hope in your career. or You set your hope in your wealth. Or you set your hope in your family. Or what, just so many things just kind of crop up and you start feeling the weight of your life kind of shifting and you're like, I'm going to fix my hope on this. And then you come to church and you're like, wait a minute. Reset. Reset. Right? And this is, this is what we do at this table, Right? This is the reset table. We come to this table every, every week. We're reminded on, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, the night before his death, he took bread, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Why, why, why would Jesus have us do this like, every week? Like, what? Why, why over and over and over again? I mean, yeah, yeah, Jesus, we got the whole cross thing. Like, let's, let's move on. Let's, let's, let's do something else, right? And Jesus is like, no, reset. Reset. 
to the gospel. It's partly why we do this table. Right? And in the same way, he took the cup, and after he blessed it, he gave it to them, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. He knows we'll never be able to, to listen and speak without the forgiving and the transforming grace that comes to us through the cross. He says, this is the only way you're going to have your sins forgiven and your lives transformed. And so we set, we reset on the gospel, on gospel grace. And then we go speak it to the next generation. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the folks in our lives that listened and spoke to us and our, how you brought us into this room. Like we, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be Christ followers if it wasn't for you working through those who were willing to listen and, and speak. And they were part of that 2,000-year legacy that started at the Great Commission. And Lord, as, as you know, like th- this is not easy. It's not easy to continue to invest one's life in the listen-speak legacy. But God, help us. Help us. Help us do it at home with our kids, whether they be young or whether they be adult kids. Help us to keep listening and speaking and listening and speaking. God, I, I pray that there would be spiritual legacies that are going to come out of our families. That, that boys and girls, they're going to grow up and they're going to go out and they're going to take the gospel to the nations. They're going to listen and speak and listen and speak and listen and speak and they're going to set their hope on your glorious deeds. But I also pray that would be true of, of the many that walk into these rooms, students and others, God, that come through our doors on a regular basis. God, help us to entrust to them the glorious deeds of the Lord and for them to listen and speak and listen to speak. God, may the ministry here, which, which is already true, may it impact those unborn. May our legacy be that kind of legacy that those who are unborn will be listening and speaking to others, the glorious deeds of the Lord. God, bless this bread and this cup, our time together, as we as a covenant community come together around this gospel and reset ourselves yet again this morning. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.